We are in the book of Acts today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 28, which is page 937, if you're using a pew Bible this morning. We have been walking through for weeks, for months, we have been walking through the story of Acts, the story of the early church, the, the lessons that we can learn from, from the church as the Holy Spirit comes and works on and in and through the early church and the early believers. And we are coming to the end. Chapter 28 is the last chapter in the book of Acts. Chapter 27, we've, we've been looking for the last couple of weeks at, at kind of the, the, the penultimate, the climactic story that happens here at the end. Paul has, has been sent. He's been imprisoned, if you remember, and back in Jerusalem. He's now being sent to Rome. He's, he's pled to go and see Caesar. And so he begins this journey, and this, this storm rises up. In the, they, they've, it's taken them too long. The wind was blowing. The tempestuous winds were blowing. And now the, there's a storm that they cannot see the sun. They cannot see the moon. The waves are roaring. And for 14 days, they have this unbelievable, unimaginable storm that Luke tells us about. And finally, they come to the end of the storm, and the only way for them to come to the end is with a shipwreck onto the island of Malta. But God has promised that all of the people on the ship will be saved. All of them will be rescued. All of them will be safe. And so they do. They all make it onto the island of of Malta. 274 of them make it onto the island. They're all rescued. They're all safe. Only to find out, as we looked last week, only to find out that as they get there and they begin to build a fire so that they can warm up their, their soaked bodies, they gather the wood and out of, out of one of the pieces of wood comes a viper who clamps on to Paul's hand, a poisonous viper. Everyone there on the island, all the natives, watch Paul thinking that he's going to swell up, that his hand will swell up and that he's going to die on the spot. And they say, how did this man, he must be a murderer, how did this man survive a storm, survive a shipwreck, and then get snake bit here when he arrives on the island? He must be a murderer. Justice, they said, justice has prevailed on him. And we talked last week, we talked a couple of weeks ago about what do you do when you're in the midst of that storm. And we looked at some lessons that Paul gave us in the midst of that storm or that Luke told us about in, during Paul's time in that storm. And then last week, last week we asked the question, because that's the question they're asking here on Malta. Last week we asked the question, why? Why do storms come? Why do shipwrecks happen? Why do snakes bite? Why do these kinds of bad things happen? That's really the question the people of Malta were saying. There must be some reason behind why this snake bites this man. And last week we talked about it, and we did talk about how sometimes when, when these things happen, when storms come, when shipwrecks happen, when snake bites come, sometimes those are being corrective and directive from God. Sometimes he uses them as discipline to correct his people and to bring them to repentance. There are times that God does that. There are also times that God sometimes uses those, those storms, those snake bites, those, those hard things that come against us. He's using those to lead us to repentance, and there's other times that he's using them to correct the direction that we're headed, to turn us around. 
Last week, we, I mentioned the, the story of Jonah in the Bible, in the Old Testament. That's, that has both of those things. God is, is disciplining Jonah and is turning him and sending him back to Nineveh where he had called him to go in the first time. Sometimes, sometimes God uses those things. But, but I also mentioned last week, and this is true for every storm, for every shipwreck, for every snake bite. Sometimes they happen, all the time they happen, because the world is broken. Because sin has entered into the world in the very beginning, through Adam and Eve, and from that time on, everything is broken. Nothing works the way it was intended to work in the very beginning, and we live in a broken world where everything is different than it was. And in fact, it's so different that we can't even fathom, we can't even understand, we can't even wrap our minds around what it was like before sin entered the world because our own thoughts, our own minds, our, our own ideas are tainted by the sin that entered into the world through Adam and Eve. And so even the good things that we know right now, even the warmth of a beach fire when you're soaking wet coming out of a wrecked ship, even those things are tainted by sin and vipers come out of the logs and strike. Everything is tainted by brokenness. There's a groaning that's going on in the world and in us because of the brokenness of sin. But there's hope even in the midst of that. There's hope even in the midst of that that there is an unseen, there's an unknown, broader picture of God's glory that we cannot completely understand, that we do not entirely see, but God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and for his glory. God is behind all things. He's working all things together. There's something greater that we cannot know or we cannot see. God is working everything together. It's God's glory. It's God's glory that's going to be seen. And we even referenced last week the, the, the story in, in John chapter 9 where, where Jesus' disciples see a blind man and they say, why, why is he blind? Why did this blindness come on him? It must have been because of his parents' sin or because of his own sin. Why? Why is he blind? And Jesus himself says it was not his parents' sin. It was not his sin. It wasn't something that they did. It was so that the glory of God might be seen just before Jesus heals this blind man. That we can't always see the picture, but that God is working everything together for his glory. And that's exactly what happens here in, in uh, Acts chapter 27 and the beginning of 28. The viper strikes, the, the, the storm comes, the ship wrecks, the viper strikes, all of those things happen but no one, Paul does not die. No one on the ship dies. Everything, everybody gets there safely. And the people say, if he doesn't die from this snake bite, he must be a god. But no, Paul is not a god, but he is a representative. He's an example. He stays there on Malta for the next few months and begins to heal. God uses him to heal people. First to the, to the leader, Publius's father, and then to the rest of the people on the island that are sick. God's glory is shown through Paul to the people there on the island of Malta. And so, now, 
we come to the end of chapter 28. It starts in verse 11. Again, it's page 937 if you want to read along with me today. He says it in verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that wintered on the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Petoli. There, we found brothers, and we were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Apius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had, when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore... I have been asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you and what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him to his lodging in greater numbers, from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts are grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's the end of the book of Acts. Paul on the island of Malta, there for several months, heals Publius's father, heals the other people, and then it comes time, spring has now arrived, it has come time for him to head the rest of the way into Rome. It's interesting, I, I, I don't want to spend any time on this, but it's interesting that the boat that they have has twin gods on the front of the boat. They would build boats that way so that they would, would survive storms, that they might not land on reefs and shipwreck against islands. And yet... And yet, we know, Paul knows, the 276 people that made it to Malta, they know that the God 
that watched over them and protected them in the storm and in the shipwreck and Paul in the snake bite was not one of the gods carved onto the front of the boat, but instead was the one true God, the one that Paul had been teaching and preaching about all through the trip. But they load up. They head out. They head across the strait. They head into the, just, they land just south of Rome and they begin uh, to collect some of the brothers. They meet some of the early believers that have been there. If you remember several years ago uh, in the story, Paul wrote a letter already to the Roman believers. Uh, The book of Romans was a letter that Paul had written several years earlier to the Romans telling that he wanted to come and to be there. And so there are already believers, groups of believers that have gathered in this area. And they begin to show up here. They begin to come and they begin to to meet with Paul. They meet him on the road. They begin to even travel with him the rest of the way. They're probably coming about 40 miles outside of Rome to meet Paul and to journey in with him. They give him courage, Luke says. They encourage him. They give him strength as they journey in. And Paul then gets to Rome. We've been building up to this. We've been looking forward to this. We've been anticipating this now for for weeks as we've walked through it. But Paul even has been anticipating this for years. It's been a couple of years even since Jesus said to Paul there just outside of Jerusalem in Caesarea that that he said to Paul, "You've, you've done well here. Now I'm going to send you on to Rome. So Paul has been anticipating this. He knew it was coming. Jesus himself had made the promise. And so now Paul has made it. He's in Rome. He's still under house arrest. He, isn't be, he hasn't been thrown into the prison, but instead has a, has a home, a home even that he pays for, that he has to rent and has the expenses for, Luke tells us. But he's on house arrest with just one guard that's physically chained to him, probably. And so Paul is on house arrest, one guard next to him, And as you might anticipate, as we have seen all the way through, every step of the way as Paul has traveled, what is the first thing that Paul has done every time he has gone into a new city? He's contacted the the Jewish leaders in that city. And he does the exact same thing here in Rome. He doesn't go to the, to the early church. He doesn't go to the early believers, to the brothers. They, they have been with him. They've been encouraging him. But instead, he goes to the, to the non-believing Jews, to the leaders of the Jews. Three days in, he calls the local Jewish leaders together. And he begins to explain his story. He attempts to give his side of the story. He wants them to know, to know that he doesn't have any charge against them. But he wants to explain his actions to them so that, they, so that they might not cause an uproar like has happened in lots of other cities and so that he might get on their side and they might be on his side. And so he goes through it. He explains all that's happened. That there is no, there is no real charge against him. Even the, even the Roman authorities back home in Caesarea and in the Judean area, even they were going to release him and, and let him go. And their response... Their response to Paul, he, he, he lays it all out, and their response to Paul is, we don't know anything about you. No one has brought any charges. No one has spoken anything of you. We don't know about you. 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure what Paul's response is in the midst of that. It reminds me, we remember a story earlier in, in the book of Acts when, when some of the, the, the prophets are, are, are wanting to slay demons and cast demons out and they come to the demon and they, and they try to cast them out in Jesus' name and the demon says right back to them, Jesus I know, Paul I've heard of, but you, I don't have any idea who you are. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. In fact, these, these Jewish leaders... They say, you know, we don't know anything, Paul, about, about your charges. Nobody has spoken anything about you. We didn't know even that you were being brought here in chains. We, we, we don't have any idea what's going on. The truth is, commentators say that the, 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 the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem would have had to actually send someone with these charges, someone that would come and, and bring the charges against Paul. And, and it just was a... It was a big deal. It was hard to send someone. It would have cost a lot of money. And, and what commentators say is that they probably thought, he's out of our hair. He's been shipped off. We don't have to worry about him. He's not here in Jerusalem. He's not here in the Judean area. He's not here in, Ces- in Caesarea any longer. We've gotten rid of him, and, and they were done with it. They weren't even going to bring charges against him in Rome. And these leaders say, we haven't heard anything about you, Paul. We don't know about any of these things. We haven't heard anything. But, they say, we have heard about this sect that you believe in. This sect that has been talked about everywhere, they say. We have heard about Christians, and we have heard about this Jesus. We do know who he is, and we would like to hear more about what that is. We want to hear more about him. And so, Paul sets it up. A few days later, they've set a time. They're gonna, they, Paul is going to tell them about Jesus and try to convince them about Jesus. And so they come. Many of them come. A whole houseful probably are there. And it says that Paul begins to preach. Paul begins to preach. Not just a a short devotional, not just a little message. Paul preaches all day long into the evening. Starts at the beginning and works his way through. I can only imagine, I can only imagine what message that might have been. As Paul begins at the very beginning. Starting in in the law and in the telling through the prophets convincing, trying, attempting at least to convince these Jewish leaders about Jesus. He preaches from morning to evening, telling them of the kingdom of God, convincing them about Jesus. And the results of Paul's message, Luke tells us some were convinced and others disbelieved. Some were convinced and others disbelieved. Here it is, the big message, the day long. Paul has been preaching all day long to these Jews. This is the final message in the book of Acts. We have walked through 28 chapters learning about from from Jesus giving that first message to his followers that we saw on the screen when you came in this morning in chapter one of Acts saying the Holy Spirit's gonna come on you and you're going to take the message to Jerusalem, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. 
All through the book of Acts, we started with Jesus telling the disciples that. We end with this very last message here. Paul spends all day, the, the, one of the greatest church leaders, the one that writes most of the New Testament, spends all day preaching through the message, leading these Jews. He, he, all of this goes into it. This is, this is the end of the book. This is the climax. This is the finale. And some were convinced and others disbelieved. It's another reminder for us that God is in charge of every single part of the gospel. God's in charge of every single part of salvation. God is in charge. And it doesn't matter if Paul, the writer of the majority of the New Testament, the, the star of this portion of the book of Acts, has an all-day preaching session in his home in Rome. God's in charge. God opens eyes. God helps blinders to come off, helps ears to hear the gospel. And some are convinced, and others disbelieve. And so Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, sharing this exact idea. He says, this is what Isaiah says, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear and never understand. You will indeed see, but you will never perceive. For this people's heart have grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. If they would just see and know. But God's in charge of every part of salvation. Some will see, some will hear, some will understand, and others never will. And so Paul goes on to say, and so the message of salvation is going to be sent to the Gentiles. Paul said that in other places. Paul has had a ministry of taking the gospel to the Gentiles. But here, at the end of his message, the last message that we have a recording of here in the book of Acts at least, here he says the message is now, salvation is open, it's going to the Gentiles. You and I, we rejoice in that today. You and I fall into that category. That's good news for you and me. It's good news that the gospel was brought in to Rome. It's good news that it began to spread through the Western world. It's good news for you and I. We have hope because of Paul's message here at the end of the book of Acts. Luke then, after that, concludes the story. He says Paul lived there for two more years at his own expense. He welcomed anyone, anyone who would come to him, and he proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he taught about Jesus Christ. And that is the end of the story. But it's not, right? It's kind of a letdown, right? If you bought this book, if you bought this book and you got to this and this was the last page, that'd be a letdown, I would think, right? We've been building up. We've been building up on this, this trip to Rome. We've been, we've been anticipating what was going to happen. We've, we know that, that Paul has, has asked for a 
court with Caesar, the, the leader of the known world at this time. Where, where's that? What happened with that? What happens with Paul? Where's, where's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would tell us? What's the ending? What happens? How come we don't have an ending to the story in Acts chapter 28? Why does Luke leave us like this? There's a couple of reasons, I think, why Luke leaves us like this. The one is is super practical. The rest of the story at this point, the rest of the story hasn't happened. Luke is with Paul and he's writing it out and, it's, and he wants to get this story. If you remember at the very beginning of the series, we talked about how, how the book of Acts is, is actually a, a partner book with the book of Luke, that Luke has, has written these two books to be really to be joined together, telling the story of Jesus in the gospel of Luke and then telling the story of the early church here in the book of Acts, and he's writing them to Theophilus and trying to, to help Theophilus to understand the story of Jesus and the story of the early church. And so Luke, while, while Paul gets to Rome and while Paul is there for two years in jail waiting for a time to come to Caesar and, and waiting for a resolution of the story, it's there that, that Luke completes his portion of the story to take to Theophilus to give the report. And so practically, we don't have the end because the end hasn't happened at that point. But I think the bigger reason why Luke probably leaves it like this is that we don't need to know the end of the story for Paul. Paul, like the ones that came before him, isn't the focal point of the story. In fact, that is how Luke leaves it, says that Paul lives there at his own expense, he welcomes all who come to him. And what does Paul do? He proclaims the kingdom of God and teaches about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It's all about the kingdom of God. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus, and it's always been about Jesus. The book of Luke was about Jesus. The book of Acts is about Jesus. The combined book, all of Scripture, is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. We don't need to have the end of the story about Paul. We don't need to know the end of the story about the early church because it's all about Jesus. And it's always been about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. And I think that Paul, Paul would agree when he says, it's not about me, it's all about him. There's nothing that I boast in, Paul says, it's him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God who sent his son when sin entered into the world and broke everything that we know, and the world began to groan under the weight of sin, and a curse was proclaimed on all of the earth, God sent his son as a remedy and a rescue, as a hope in the midst of sin. 
God sent his son, Jesus, who came, came to earth, left heaven, came to earth, made himself nothing, became a man, became obedient to death, even death on a cross, Paul tells us. God sent Jesus, who came and lived a perfect life, a sinless, a holy life. He did what we could not do so that he might take on our sins, so that he might bear our iniquities, Isaiah says, so that our sin might be on him and gives us redemption through his blood. For all who believe, and cry out in the name of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And it's always been about Jesus. It's not about Paul. And so Luke ends it, not with a conclusion about Paul, not with a ending to the story of the early church. Instead, he says, Paul spent the time talking about the kingdom of God and preaching about Jesus. Because that's the focal point. It's the focal point for Luke in the book of Acts. It's the focal point for Paul. And it's the focal point for you and I as well. That's why we share in communion together this morning. It's why we remember Jesus' body and blood. Because it's not about Paul. We want to talk about Paul. We want to remember what Paul has, has taught us. But it's about Jesus. It's all about him. He is our hope. He is our redemption. And so together this morning, we're going to share in communion. You have an invitation in your bulletin. It's also going to be on the screen there. We have open communion here at Richland. If you can live under this invitation. If you have cast the full weight of your hope on Jesus... If it's all about Jesus for you and no, nothing else, no one else, only Jesus, we want you to share in communion with us this morning. The way we do it, the function of what will happen this morning is in just a moment, the worship team will come and, and lead us. The elders will come and, and direct us. And we invite you to come uh, as the elders direct your row to come down to the tables in, at each tray, there's two cups that are stacked together. And the bottom cup is the bread. The top cup has the juice. We invite you this morning to, to take both of those cups and to carry them then with you back to your pew. And then we'll take them together. We want you to celebrate with us this morning because this is what it's about. It's all about Jesus. It's all about looking to him and having eyes that are turned to him. It's all about proclaiming the kingdom of God and remembering the hope we have in Christ. So let me invite the worship team and the elders to come. They're going to lead us through communion together. I hope that you'll share with us this morning as we celebrate the hope we have in Christ.
Jesus himself, the Son, the Word. And the night before he was betrayed, took the bread and broke it and said, take this, eat this in remembrance of me. Reminding us that he is the focal point, the culmination of all of scripture and all of history. And so I encourage you this morning to take and eat and remember the word. And he took the cup, said, this is the blood we shed for us. I encourage you this morning to take it and drink it and be grateful. I want to invite you to come back next week and to join us for our Thanksgiving service. A number of you are going to share during the service, telling about your gratefulness and celebrating God's faithfulness to us. And then we'll celebrate together in the activity center with a Thanksgiving dinner. And so I hope that you can be with us for that next Sunday. The following week, after next Sunday, we will conclude the series in the book of Acts. I will attempt to show you some of the rest of the story that Luke doesn't give us here at the end of the book of Acts. Paul does tell us a little bit more in some of his letters, and church history tells us a little about what happened to Paul and to the other disciples at the end. And so we'll attempt to look at the rest of the story in a couple of weeks, and so I hope that you'll come back and join us for that as well. Please stand as we have our benediction. At the end of the book, Revelation, we read this. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Thank you for coming this morning.